This week where you are, this Sunday we're finishing up. We've been looking at the miracles contained in the book of John. I've uh, been using uh, kind of as a, a basis the book from Mark Batterson, Grave Robber. And it looks at the seven miracles that Jesus <clears throat> is recorded as doing in the book of John. Now obviously we know he did more miracles than those seven, but John is writing for a purpose. And so he's recorded these miracles for a purpose to reveal to us something about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our life. And today uh, we finish that up. We started out, again, we kind of said in the first lesson, if you would, it's almost kind of a progression. Uh, it's not of non-miraculous, non-supernatural, because they're all miracles, so they're all pretty amazing. But if you want to put them in order, it goes from turning water into wine, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I'm not sure that I, that I could do that. But it goes all the way to today's miracle that we're going to talk about and we're going to discuss the grave robber today, the raising from the dead of Lazarus. And I believe the Lord wants to increase our faith today. I believe he wants to do something in us. So let's pray this morning that the Lord would have his way in all of our classes today and that his word would do its work. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful, privileged to be in your presence, that you've allowed us to gather together again, that you've allowed us to uh, gather in your name to worship you. And Lord, I ask you that as we come together for our classes this morning in Sunday school, that your anointing, your blessing would be in each class, Lord, that you would anoint every teacher to speak your word with clarity and boldness, that you would anoint every ear to receive your word, and that your word would find its mark in my life today, God, that you would increase our faith, that you would challenge us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen. We're going to read, this is uh, the, the longest story, if you would, connected with the miracle. And we're not going to read the entire uh, story because there's, there's, this is definitely a miracle that has backstory. But we find this miracle taking place in John chapter 11. And again, we're not going to read all the backstory. And then this miracle leads to other things taking place in Jesus' life. But we're going to begin in verse 34 and read through verse 45. This is the heart of the story. If you will, and it says, in, uh, uh, and this is uh, Jesus speaking, and it said, and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. That's the grave of Lazarus. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. The grave robber. Now, we do catch an inkling of why John included this miracle uh, in his writings. Jesus did raise three people from the dead, but this is the one that is recorded. And in verse 42, we find 
uh, a very important thing, uh, just to mention here at the start of why John includes it. And it, it says there, Jesus, as he's speaking, says, But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that, thou may, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So Jesus, uh, John, sorry, John is concerned uh, about us discovering and realizing who Jesus Christ was, that he was the Son of Man and that he was the Son of God. And so he includes this to, to help us further realize that the reason for this miracle was so that we would believe who had sent Jesus, that he was not just a man, he wasn't just a teacher, but he was something divine that was sent to this earth. And, and, and in this story, uh, I, honestly, I, I just there, there's so much contained in this story, and I'm not going to go through it all, and you can say, thank goodness. Um, but we are going to pull some verses that we didn't read as part of this. Uh, we're going to pull some of those things in. All the way back uh, in, the, in the first verses of this chapter, we're going to look at verse uh, 15. A discussion has been taking place, and uh, Jesus and his disciples... Uh, get the news that Lazarus is sick, and they they are first of all they're they're questioning whether Jesus should go back to this area because uh, they're afraid that Jesus is going to be stoned if he goes back to this area, and then they begin to question about why Jesus is not going in the moment. Lazarus is sick, and they know that Jesus is a healer, and Jesus doesn't do anything to go heal his friend. And so this all takes place, and then they get the news that Lazarus is not just sick, but now the news has gotten worse, and Lazarus has passed away. And his disciples are confused at this point. They know that Jesus is a healer, and yet uh, he didn't go do anything. And now uh, the, the prayers, I'm sure, of Mary and Martha, of other people, were not answered, and they are left with their brother who has died. And so a discussion ensues with Jesus and his disciples about what's going on. Why didn't he go? Why, is this, why did it happen this way? And Jesus makes a statement in verse 15. It says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now that, that's Jesus. You know, we read the words of Jesus and, and we just kind of sometimes read them through quickly. That's a very strange statement to make. Jesus has found out that his friend Lazarus has passed away. We know he was a friend because of his reaction when he comes to the tomb. And he says that I'm glad that Lazarus died. I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Well, what about Lazarus' sake? <laughs> what about Mary and Martha's sake? That just seems an odd thing to say. We know of, of his affection for, for this family, but the, the, the scripture tells us that Jesus remained two days knowing that Lazarus was sick and he waited until Lazarus dies. He utters these words during the debate going on back and forth. And, and, and I think that this is important for us to understand because uh, some miracles, while they are miracles and while they are supernatural, they, they leave uh, some room for argument, if you will. Now, they could be dumb arguments, but they leave some room for argument. There's uh, some of the miracles that Jesus did. People have tried to apply logic and, and talk about what sickness it was and perhaps it wasn't as degenerative as scripture would have us to believe and the person just got gradually better. I, I, I read one thing we talked on one Wednesday night about Jesus walking on water 
I read uh, one big long dissertation uh, that someone put forth that because the weather patterns are very uh, strange in that part of the earth on the Sea of Galilee, that there's sometimes freak uh, frosts and real cold spells. And so perhaps that Jesus did not walk on water, but perhaps ice had formed in the, in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus actually traveled three and a half miles on an ice floe. That's pretty miraculous too. <laughs> he just kind of skimmed across the surface on a piece of ice. Uh, <laughs> some people uh, have uh, made comments or, or put forth things that it wasn't just water that Jesus added to the pots. But there was, so, so there's all these things that people have said. But, but a man dead four days leaves little else to explain except the mighty hand of God. He's not just uh, uh, not as sick as people thought. It wasn't just that something was going on. No, four days is a long time to be in a tomb, even if you weren't really dead. <laughs> I've got a fear of being buried alive, you know. There's going to be claw marks. Four days is a pretty long time to be trapped in a tomb, even if you're alive. So this miracle, it leaves little else to explain except that Jesus did a mighty work. And this miracle was not just about faith, I believe. While miracles do take faith in some form or fashion, this miracle was not just about an ordinary faith. This miracle was about stretching the disciples' faith. He said, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. He was trying to do something in the life of Mary and Martha and the disciples and the people that were going to be there. He was trying to stretch their faith. We've seen the progression of the miracles from water to wine, from the feeding of the 5,000 to walking on water until we come to this ultimate show of power. There is no greater display of power in the miracles that Jesus does than robbing the grave. Now understand what I mean by stretching our faith, what Jesus was trying to do. If Jesus would have shown up, if we would, in our vernacular, on time, if he would have shown up before Lazarus had died, and, and he would have healed Lazarus, then he would have reinforced everybody's faith that he was a healer. Now that's a good thing. He would have reinforced, and wow, I really know God's a healer now. I saw the lame man that was sitting by the pool that was lame for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. I saw the blind man that Jesus formed mud balls, put them in his eyes, and told him to go wash, and he was healed. But man, and, and then he came in Lazarus, man, he was on the point of death, and Jesus healed him. Man, I'm thankful that God's a healer. It would have reinforced that, which Jesus was a healer. But see, Jesus wasn't concerned in this instance with strengthening their belief. He wasn't concerned just with strengthening their faith. Jesus wanted to stretch their faith. He wanted to push their faith beyond healing to a resurrection. The situation had to get worse so their faith could be stretched. It had to get past what they had experienced before. They had experienced healing. They had experienced miraculous healing. But their, the situation had to get to a point that was worse than any they had known so that their faith could be stretched. The disciples and Mary and Martha, based on their reaction when Jesus finally shows up, it looks like to us, it looks in this situation as we read it, that to put it in our modern language, that Mary and Martha and all the people gathered there had reached their breaking point. 
They had reached the point of really now they are broken. It wasn't just if this goes on any longer, I don't know how much more I can take. No, Lazarus had died. They were at the point of sorrow. They were at the point of defeat. They were questioning where Jesus was in all of this. If only you had shown up. And there's times in our lives when we feel like we are at our breaking point. Have you ever been there before? I can't take this situation any longer. I can't handle this anymore. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to throw in the towel. But you see, Jesus was wanting to challenge their perspective of the situation. You see, instead of, he wanted them to look at the situation not as I'm just about broken, not as I'm at my breaking point, not as I don't know if I can make it anymore, but he was trying to get them to the point where their faith was stretched. So they could say that even in the middle of this, God can still do something. Even in the middle of this, I know it looks so far gone. I know it looks so desperate at this point. But Jesus can still step in no matter the situation. And I'm here to challenge somebody today. Perhaps you are in that circumstance. Perhaps you are in that situation that you feel like you are at your breaking point. That you feel like whatever is happening in your life is really about to break you. But I would ask you this question. Are you just about broken or is God just stretching you in the situation? You see, because to get to greater faith, I might have to experience greater things in my life. Oswald Chambers, that's a great name. I wish I, no, I don't wish I was called Oswald. Oswald Chambers said this, sometimes we feel like God is missing the mark. Ever felt that? Man, God's just way off base on this one. But the problem is we are too short-sighted to see what he's aiming at. You see, God was not aiming at healing of Lazarus. That was not his goal. Now, that would have been everyone else's goal. Mary and Martha, if you'd have said, you know, because in several of the miracles, Jesus walks up to the person and says, what do you want? And they respond. If he would have walked up to Mary and Martha and said, what do you want? What would they have said? My brother to be healed. That's what they wanted. But you see, Jesus wasn't concerned with physical healing in this situation. He was concerned with stretching their faith. And sometimes we're just too short-sighted in the circumstance to see what God is aiming at. I want God to raise my vision. I want God to help me to see what He's doing in my life. And this story of Lazarus is the perfect example of God's third response many times when we pray. We know that there's yes and we know that there's no, but sometimes God says, wait. I think I'd rather have no than wait. I don't know. Many times God says, wait, but all we hear is no. You know why? Because we're immature. How many ever told your kids to wait for something? What do they take it as? No. (laughs) You know, it depends on their age. I can tell Cooper to wait for five minutes. That's really not very long, but he's five and has really no concept of time. That's, you might as well say no. No, you need to wait five minutes to do that. No, you need to save your money. Oh my word, that's like death. Tell a kid to save their money. It's burned a hole in their pocket now. Before long, they won't have any pants left. It'll just burn them up. No, you need to wait. Well, I hate going to the store in December. I hate it. (laughs) Well, I I guess I shouldn't keep talking about my kids. The oldest one, man. (sighs) 
it doesn't matter what store it is, he'll find something he wants. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if there was a home interior store. I could walk him in there and he'd find something that he's been looking for his whole life. So to say wait, the, re- the reason they can't understand wait, they don't understand if you take the $5 you have now and maybe someone gives you another dollar or you get some money for your birthday, you add it up, you can get something better and you say just wait, that's like no. No, they don't understand. Why? Because they're immature. They're, not, they're too short-sighted to see the big picture. And many times when God tells us wait, we don't hear wait, we hear no. God, I want you to do this. And he says wait, and we say Well, God just said, no, he must not like me. That's Cooper's new thing. I don't know where he picked that up. If you tell him something that he doesn't want, which is quite a lot of things, he says, well, nobody likes me. Well, it's because you wash the dishes at 6.30. That's why. But perhaps God's saying, wait, because he knows, he knows that if he does what I ask right now, I'm going to miss the point of what he's really trying to do. If he heals Lazarus now when I want him to, my faith won't be stretched. I'm not going to increase. I'm not going to see more miraculous things in my life. Perhaps God knows there's a more perfect time for him to get the most glory in my life. Maybe he wants to emphasize and show to me a new aspect of his power that I haven't seen before. Have you ever thought that your prayers are limited by what you know of God? You ever thought about that? Mary and Martha were probably only praying for a healing. They, I guarantee you they never thought to pray for a resurrection because what they knew about Jesus was limited to their specific knowledge of Jesus. But you know what? When God increases our faith, suddenly it opens up what we ask God for. And when we ask God for something, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above that. So what happens if I raise the level of my asking because he's revealed more of himself to me? Then God can do even more miraculous things in my life. It's in that waiting that my faith is stretched, though. We don't like to wait. Lazarus, come forth. I I don't want to try and make light of this situation because all of us have stood by the grave of somebody that we love. And so I don't want to be facetious or, or, or say something that makes you upset. But we read stories in Scripture, and, and because we know the endings of the stories, many times we lose the emotion that's present in the middle of the story when the outcome's unknown to those in the situation. We lose that. I've never been in this situation before, and I would venture to say, neither of you. Imagine you're at the graveside of a loved one. Everyone's getting ready for the final words. We know how a graveside service goes. The preacher gets up, he reads a few scriptures, maybe there's a song sung, And then the words are uttered, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And then people gradually just walk away. Imagine if you're at the graveside, everyone's getting ready for the final words to be said. And you're all sitting there, it's really a last goodbye, is what's going on in our mind. And instead of saying ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the preacher suddenly stops and speaks to the the person's name that's in that coffin and commands them to get up. That would throw a little wrench in the works. That would cause people to look up. As people are awkwardly standing there, not knowing what they should do, be looking down, 
you're singing a hymn, then some people know it, some don't. And the preacher suddenly says that. There would probably be some confusion. I would say there would probably be some anger present at the insensitivity of this person to say, get up. It would cause quite a commotion. There would be all kinds of feelings going on in the people present. Now, imagine that it's not at the graveside, it's four days later. And Jesus, or the preacher says, I want to gather all the friends and family together at the grave of so-and-so who's passed away four days ago. And then he gives the command to dig the person up. Wow. I don't, I've never been in that situation. I don't know about you. I'd be thinking all kinds of things in my head at that point. Who does this guy think he is? What in the world is going on? I mean... Just think about that. That's what's taking place. It's four days later and he says, uncover the grave. What in the world is going on? This is, if we're looking at in our life, this is the worst moment. As somebody close to you passes away. And you are stepping in at this moment, giving commands like this. Saying things like this. The Jewish tradition was to have, after somebody passed, was to have heavy mourning for seven days. So Lazarus has died and we are now on the fourth day. Jesus shows up right in the middle of the morning. Not in the morning time, but in the middle of their sadness. And he walks up to the tomb and tells them to uncover the tomb. And he commands Lazarus to come out. Imagine all the emotion going on. I would venture to say there was probably some anticipation People are there to see what's going to happen to this. <laughs> there, there's probably a whole bunch of doubt. I'd say a bunch of doubt. I'd say there's anger, there's confusion, there's disbelief. And the simple fact that there was probably people there that were questioning the sanity of Jesus. This guy's a nut. And I'm sure if this, you were in this situation, that might cross your mind. Who let this nutcase in? While Jesus has defied science, while he's defied the laws of nature up until this point, this is his ultimate test. He is asking the grave to give up one of its own. This is the ultimate act of fearless faith. Many times the reason we don't see the miraculous is because we don't put ourselves in situations that necessitate a miracle. Now, Again, I, I'm not trying to make light of this at all, but I'm not advocating that this is your uh, uh, pattern that you should follow when you attend a funeral. I would not recommend trying this. I would not recommend that you be the person that calls the person's name and tells them to get up. I'm not advocating that. In fact, Jesus only did it three times. He did not raise every uh, deceased person that he came across. Unfortunately, we know that death is part of our existence. We know that. It's appointed to every person to die once. But let me just tell you what I would have done. I don't know if you would have done different, but this is what I would have done in the situation. I would have found Mary and Martha when I got there. I would have comforted them. I would have said, you know what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying the Lord gives you strength in this time. I mean, I don't know if that's what you would have done, but that's probably what I would have done. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. Well, you could have got here sooner. Well... Yeah, I'm sorry. I would, have, I would have said a few words of encouragement. I maybe would have said, you remember that time, Lazarus? You know, that was, that was a great time. I would have maybe shared some memories. 
We might have gathered and said, you know what? I'm sorry I wasn't here four days ago. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's all gather together and have some prayer. Try to encourage. Try to offer some hope and comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, I'm not advocating that this is what we do in this situation every time. That's not what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, the majority of the time, that's probably what's appropriate. The vast majority of the time. But let me just say, there's nothing miraculous in that either. I haven't put myself in the situation where a miracle's needed. Now, again, we're going to speak more than just the physical raising of the dead. So begin thinking that way. But Jesus risked his reputation with these words. He'd risked his reputation before as he tells the servants to go serve the water to the master and the master drinks it. The servants don't know what's going to happen. Jesus is risking his reputation. And it turns out to be the best wine they've tasted. Jesus is risking his reputation when he takes five loaves and two fishes and stands up in a crowd of possibly fifteen to 20,000 people and gives thanks for the food and then starts handing it out. He's risking his reputation. But he has never risked his reputation like he has at this moment. If Lazarus had not come out of the grave, the winemaking, the water walking, the healing, the feeding, all would have been forgotten. And all that would have been remembered is remember that guy who stood in front of Lazarus' tomb, told him to uncover it, and, and told him to come out of there. That's what people would have remembered about Jesus. He's risking everything. And I would venture to say to see a miracle of any sort, whether it's as, as great as robbing the grave, or, or as small and insignificant as you may think it is, there is a level, a point that comes when I have to be willing to risk my reputation. When I have to be willing to step out and my reputation is at stake. Now, I understand that if I say that the Lord can heal and I pray for somebody and they're not healed, then it's not in my power to control who is healed. I understand that. But on another level, I'm risking my reputation. Let me just say, honestly, when God asks you to do something, what starts coming in your mind? All the stuff that you'd have to risk and what happens if it doesn't come off? God tells me, I want you to go pray for so-and-so because they're sick. It may be in the middle of the service, and if you pray for them this time, they're going to be healed. Well, I'm going, like a, I'm going to look like a fool if I do that. They've been prayed for 600 times before, and nothing's happened. If I walk up to them and say, the Lord wants to heal you, and he doesn't heal you, how's that going to make me look? We have to risk our reputation at some point. I may have had faith that Lazarus could have been raised... I, I, if I was in that situation, and the Lord spoke to me, and I'm like, man... God wants to raise Lazarus from the dead. If I felt that, let me tell you what I would have done. I first of all would ask for a lot of confirmation. Before I'm at a funeral and say the Lord's going to raise this person from the dead, I'm going to want a lot of confirmation. A whole lot. I'm going to want people fed, wine. I'm going to want miracles, signs, wonders, and then at the end of it, maybe. I probably would have stood over to the side and said to myself, you know, everything's going over there, and the Lord doesn't need me around it. The Lord can, he's above time and space and everything. And I would have quoted to myself, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much in the corner. And I would have fervently prayed in the corner. I wouldn't have stood in front of the casket or in front of the grave and said, come forth. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I would have done. I probably would have gone to, the, I, I, I may even have come back later once everybody's left. Because the Lord doesn't need a public showing. I'll just wait till everyone's gone. 
and then I'll come back. And when everyone's gone, that way, if it doesn't work, nobody knows, and I can just walk away. What's it? Re- My reputation's at risk there. I don't want to look like a fool. But Jesus did it publicly. There was no doubt about what he was saying. There was no doubt about what he was doing. He didn't do this act for himself. He'd already said why he was going to do it. He did this for his disciples' sake. Now, this is not about running around with rash prayers. But this is about when God speaks, when he commands, I listen and obey despite the risk that I might have to take. Because God might be stretching me and pushing me to the point where I see something miraculous happen in my life. And I probably won't see the miraculous unless it takes something from me. I can't say that everyone will be healed unless God speaks to me to say it because I can't control God. This is not about controlling God. Neither am I called to put God in a corner. God, if you don't do this, then no, that's not what I'm talking about. But this, this act here, robbing of the grave, it's the ultimate demonstration of risky faith, of placing it all on the line. I wonder if we don't see things happen because we're too afraid to risk our faith. We're too afraid to put our reputation on the line. We are too afraid to step out into the really unbelievable the impossible as people of God we have we have faith and we believe God for healing how many people has God healed in this place so you know what when it comes time for prayer and we're going to have it in this service and and we're going to ask for those that are sick to come forward we're all right with that there's people in this place who have been delivered. So if we have a service where, service where deliverance is called for, I, we believe that God can deliver. But really, you know what? We look at people and we think, well, how can they not? We all have comfort levels of faith. I'm wondering if God isn't stretching us one more time. If he doesn't want to reach into our heart and say, I know you believe that I'm a healer, but do you know that I can resurrect as well? I know that you believe that I'm a deliverer, but there's more to me than that. I wonder where God is trying to stretch us in our life. If you would, I wonder if God isn't calling us beyond, and this is an air quotes, typical miracles to the risky side of faith. Hand and foot with grave clothes and his, his face bound about with a napkin. Jewish burial traditions indicate to us that Lazarus may, what he may have looked like in the grave. His feet would have been bound to the ankles. His arms would have been tied to his body with linen. Then he would have been wrapped in roughly 100 pounds of grave clothes. Some scholars have estimated that the head was wrapped so much that the head would measure across almost a foot after wrapping. The image we get is really that of what you might think of a mummy. It probably wouldn't be too far off. This guy has 100 pounds of grave clothes on him. Imagine what this would have looked like as Lazarus emerged from the tomb. Scripture tells us that he was bound, so Lazarus did not walk out of the tomb. He came hopping out of the tomb. What a sight. First of all, there's Jesus calling someone out of the grave, and then here comes a mummy. (laughs) It just gets stranger and stranger. (laughs) Scripture tells us that he was bound, so he came out that way. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. There's a lot of great stuff in this story. The Bible's pretty amazing sometimes. Let me just tell you that Jesus is not waiting until all your baggage is gone. He's not waiting until you've got it all figured out. No, Jesus can work in the middle of your mess. He can work in the middle of your baggage. He can work in the middle of your situation. In fact, let me just say this. He knows we were all dead in sin. We know that. Let me just say this. When he comes in your life and performs a miracle, I would venture to say that he expects you to have some baggage. 
He knew what Lazarus was going to look like. He wasn't ignorant. He knew that he was bound. He knows that you're going to have some baggage. He's expecting some after effects of your situation. But there's only... So it's, it's not going to uh, shock God. It's not going to hinder God because you've got hang-ups and hurts and fears and disappointments and everything else that's weighing you down. Don't let that be the reason that stops you coming out of the grave. Don't let that be the reason that you don't answer the voice of God when he says, come forth to you. You need to come out however you come out of that grave. You need to come out whether it's hopping, whether it's walking, whether the grave clothes are hanging off. You come out because he's called you. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. The second command of Jesus. And I'm hurrying here because, I, I, well, I want to finish. <laughs> the second command of Jesus. I've, it's been really hard for me because I've tried to take a, a vow of honesty and not increase the margins on my papers anymore. <laughs> so that it goes from seven to five pages. <laughs> but this second command of Jesus is just as important to this miracle as the first. Lazarus came out of the tomb, and when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was alive. But when he came out of the tomb, he was still bound. And there's people who have come out of the grave that God has called, and they have answered that call, they have come out of that grave. But there's still things that are weighing you down. There's still the weight of years of sin. There's still baggage that's affecting your life. There's still all of these things that are wrapped around, around you. We can't call anyone forth from the grave. Only God can do that. I can't say to anyone spiritually, you need to come out of that grave and they they can respond to that, but I can't command them to do that. God is the only one that can give that command. But I do think it's relevant that Lazarus did not lose himself. I do think it's relevant that God, that, that Jesus in this situation did not lose him either. He called for people and he said, loose him and let him go. And I believe in this analogy, this is where the church needs to step in. That the church has an obligation, a mandate to help people be loose that God has brought out of the grave. I believe it's important for us because there's going to be people that walk through the doors of this church that are going to step through the doors of our life and God has spoke to them. And they've come hopping out of the grave, but they're still confined. There's still problems. There's still issues. And God is saying to us as a church, you need to help them be loosed. You need to let them go only God can save them but the church has a responsibility maybe there's somebody that God is speaking to me about that I need to help them unwrap the grave clothes in their life most miracles involve some sort of human effort so while God called him he then said humans I want you to get involved and loose this person I believe that we need people reaching out for souls I believe we need that but I believe that we need people that will get involved in helping people be loosed once they've come to the Lord Sorry if these don't fit together, but they're just part of the story. We're going to skip now to verse 25 before the story. This is where Martha and Mary come to Jesus before they run out to meet him. Mary comes first. She talks to Jesus, says, if you'd only been here. Then Mary comes out. She says pretty much the same thing, but she does have one significant difference that we're going to close with. But not yet. Verse 25, Jesus is speaking to her. And uh, <clears throat> she says, you know, Jesus said, you know, he's, he's, he's just sleeping. She says, I know, Lord, and, and, that, and that great day that we're all looking forward to, he's going to be resurrected. He, she says, I know that, that he's going to be resurrected one day. And Jesus says to her in verse 25, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection. John has revealed to us that Jesus is the water walker, the way maker, the mud maker, the multiplier. Yet John includes this miracle because there is something else about Jesus' power that you and I must understand. Again, Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but he's, he's not looking just to heal Lazarus. There's a, there's a bigger picture. Jesus is wanting to reveal more of his power. He's wanting to demonstrate to his disciples and to the gathered crowd his resurrection power. Now, this is not just as a foretelling that one day I will be resurrected, although that is part of it. But I think we forget about the resurrection power. Seems kind of odd to say. We, we, we know Easter's coming up here before too long, and we're going to celebrate not just his death, his burial, but his resurrection. We, we know about Jesus being raised. We understand that. We know about the resurrection of our souls as we're filled with the Holy Ghost. We understand that. But his resurrection power extends to more than a tomb 2,000 years ago. His resurrection power extends to more than a moment when I spoke in tongues. His resurrection power should still be affecting my life every single day. I feel like we limit his resurrection power to just a few instances, to just a few moments in our life. But I'm here to ask you today, what in your life needs a resurrection? What in your life needs a resurrection? Or let me ask you this, when was the last time that you experienced his resurrection power? There's two kinds of faith, if I could label them this way. The first is preventative faith, and there's nothing wrong with this. First kind is preventative faith. And this is knowing that God can keep something from happening. And we exercise our faith in these areas. We pray for God to give us protection. You, you've got a doctor's visit coming up. They're going to do a bunch of tests. You come up and you say, I want you to pray. I've got some tests. It's preventative faith. I don't want there to be anything wrong. The Lord can take care of it now. We pray that. We pray for protection for our kids. Not because they just, you know, did something, but we don't want anything to happen to them. That's preventative faith. And really, that, that preventative faith is something that reaches into the future. When I pray for the test results and the test hasn't happened, I'm praying into the future. When, when I, I'm praying for my kids that nothing will happen to them at school today, school hasn't happened yet. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get them to school, man. But it hasn't happened yet. It's into the future. So there's preventative faith. But this story reveals to us something as well, and it's resurrection faith. And this is a faith that believes that God can undo what has been done. Preventative faith puts our faith into the future. Resurrection faith goes into our past. Now that seems really strange. Lazarus was not dying. He was not dying future tense meaning that he was sick and he was about to die but had not died yet. That's what dying means. You're in the process of it, but it hasn't happened yet. Lazarus was dead, past tense. He was four days dead. The last breath that he took was four days ago. Resurrection power has the ability to reach into your past to things that are dead, to things that are settled, to things that are finished, and his power can resurrect those things in your life. My question to you is what in your life is past? 
I'm not talking about the future. I'm not talking about what God wants to do in your future, although that is just as important. But what in my past have I buried? What in my past has died? Is it my marriage? Is it a diagnosis? Is is it a, a ministry? Is it a circumstance? What have I buried in my life and said, you know what? It's breathed its last. It's over. It's done. What have I buried and put in the ground of my life? I'm here to challenge you today that it's not settled till God says it's settled. That he can reach into the things that are already settled and he can undo those things in my life. Here's the thing that we have to understand about his resurrection power though. This is the negative. It only works on things that are dead. Now, and I I do not have time and honestly, I'll probably come back and do some series on this, letting things die in our life. Because this is, man, this is a whole other can of worms. But his resurrection power only works on things that are dead. You can't resurrect something that's alive, right? If Jesus would have, right before he, he, was, uh, he said it's finished, if he, he couldn't be resurrected. He had to say it's finished, and the scripture says he gave up the ghost. From that point on, resurrection's an option. But until then, for 33 years until he breathed his last, resurrection was not an option. We know that Jesus was in the tomb and resurrection power came. Lazarus was in the tomb and resurrection power came. We know spiritually, Scripture tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were dead is what Scripture says. That's why we could be resurrected by the Holy Ghost because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The part of the miracle that we don't like is that the only way to see a resurrection is for something to first die. And that's difficult. And like I said, I... I, We don't have time to get into all this. But they had to pack up Lazarus. They had to do their rituals. They had to put him in the ground. And until they put him in the ground, Jesus wasn't coming to resurrect him. Sometimes sometimes we just keep trying to breathe life into things. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'll resurrect it if you'll just let it go. We'll just move on. And like I said, maybe in a few months we'll come back to that. I want to end with this, though, in verse 22. This is where I think we need to get to in our faith. This is from Martha. Now, we all know Mary because she sat at the feet of Jesus, and we think, man, Martha's this awful person that's trying to clean the house when Jesus is coming. You'd be right there, too, with her, probably. If you know Jesus is coming to your house, you're going to try and clean up and make him a nice dinner, right? This This is from Martha. She wasn't just some sinner. no. Martha comes to Jesus and she's questioning why Jesus didn't come. And Jesus is speaking to her. And in verse 22, she says these words. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And these are the words I want to close on. But I know that even now. Sometimes we try our very best to keep things alive while we wait on God. Sometimes we do our very best, but sometimes things just die. Sometimes situations just get past the point where we can't do anything anymore. We've tried our best, and it's just, it's done. What's more revealing of God's power? Lazarus kept on a deathbed, tended by Mary and Martha waiting on Jesus, or wrapped up four days in the grave, hopping out of a tomb. 
I challenge you this morning, maybe it's time to bury something in your life. However, you need to do it with the words of Martha on your lips. Even now. You see, there's a faith contained in those words, even now, that challenges me. That even now, knowing that it's dead, knowing that it's over, knowing the circumstance is beyond fixing, it's done. There's some things that end in your life. And you know, you can't go back, you can't redo it, there's nothing that can happen about it. Yet Martha said, even now. There's a... I, I came across this illustration which seems to be an illust- a good illustration about how to let something die but still live with even now on your lips. There's a guy called Nick, I, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, Vujicic. He was born without any arms or legs. That's a pretty rough situation. And for years, he was a Christian, for years he prayed that God would heal him. He would go to every, every service he could get to He would go to every place he could because he believed that God was going to heal him. He wouldn't let his faith die. He wouldn't let the miracle die. Well, God didn't heal him. He suffered disappointment after disappointment. Perhaps this relates to you. The person who keeps praying for the same thing and nothing happens. Finally, he decided, you know what? If God's not going to heal me, I'm going to have to move on with my life. If my situation isn't going to change, I'm going to have to move on with my life. I can't live from altar service to altar service. And then the in-between trying to pull myself out of disappointment. That wears on you. Maybe you don't think that's spiritual or Christian or godly, but that's life a lot of times. Sorry to tell you that. He didn't accept that he wouldn't be healed, but he accepted his life as it was. It's amazing. You can look him up online. He has a book that was published. He's a Christian speaker, author. On the cover of his book, he's surfing. He has no arms or legs. He's surfing. He's done all kinds of crazy things. He's married and has four kids. He's done all kinds of stuff. He said, you know what? God may not heal me, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose that's whatever. But let me, this is the thing that speaks most powerfully to me. Did that guy bury his miracle? Well, to some degree, he did. He said, you know what? I'm not going to be captured by my present circumstance. If God's not going to heal me, I'm going to move on. But here's the great thing. He has an even, even now in his life. Even now. That doesn't mean that he doesn't believe that God can't heal. It just means that he's going to continue on. And here's his even now. If you would go to his closet, this guy that has no arms or legs, that just continues life without them, and if God heals him, great. If he doesn't, great. If you would open his closet, in his closet on the floor, he has a pair of shoes. He has a pair of shoes. You know why? Because he still believes that I'm going to continue my life, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, but even now, if he decides to heal me, I'm ready for when he heals me. I'm not going to spend my life chasing after a miracle. I'm not going to spend my whole life saying, God, if you would just do this, if you would just do that, I'm going to serve you. No, he decided to do something with his life, but he has an even now in his closet, his shoes. Martha comes to Jesus. She says, I wish you would have been there. I wish you would have been here to heal him. I know that you're the healer, but you know what, Lord? Even now in this circumstance, I believe that you can reach into what has already been settled, what has already been done. And Lord, you can, I don't even know what it is that you can do, but Lord, I believe that you can do something in my life. Even now. 
You see, this is what separates Jesus, is that he is a God of even now. Even now. We can come up with a whole lot of things, but you know what? There's been a whole lot of really good teachers in this earth. There's been prophets. You can read about them in Scripture. There's been healings in Scripture. But you see, the difference is, is Jesus said to Martha after this, I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody else has the claim to resurrection power except Jesus Christ. Nobody else can revive, revive what was dead in your life. Nobody else can breathe life into your circumstance except Jesus Christ. And people want him to be a teacher. People want him to be a healer, a prophet. They want him to be a wise sage. They want those things. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus refuses to let us lower him to that pedestal of a teacher, a prophet, a healer. But he wants to remind us that he is still the grave robber. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And I don't care what your circumstance is. You need to look at it and say, even now, Lord, even now, I know that you can do something in my circumstance in my situation he is always still able he's always still able he is the resurrection death does not bother him death does not hinder him he can resurrect dead marriages he can resurrect dead promises he can resurrect dreams he can resurrect ministries he can resurrect your soul from sin there is nothing that cannot be taken care of by Jesus Christ it doesn't matter how settled you have made it Jesus is the resurrection and the life I'm here to challenge people today to risk your faith in the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I close with this verse. It's not on the slide, so you just have to trust me that it's a real verse. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. We know Revelation 21 because it's speaking about heaven. Heaven comes down. John's writing this. And there's the verse that we all love and is, is a part of our hope. I'm not saying this in a derog. It's, it's part of our hope of who we are. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I'm looking forward to that day. It's speaking of heaven. I'm looking forward to that. But it, 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 notice this, it says, and God shall wipe away. This is speaking of a future tense. We know that. So we know that there's going to be tears now. We know there's going to be death now. We know there's going to be sorrow now. But we look forward to that day. And then it says in verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. He's been speaking, he says, you know what, there's coming a day when you're not going to have to worry about the sickness, you're not going to have to wonder what's going to happen today, you're not going to have to worry when the phone rings, you're not going to have to worry about your kids, you're not going to have to worry about all of that. There's coming a day, and we're looking forward to that, that day. But that's a future tense, but he says, behold, I make all things new. That is present tense. He says, right now, I can make some things new in your life. They don't have to stay dead. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life, and we're sometimes we get like Martha and we say yes I know Lord I know in that last great day you're going to raise it no he is the resurrection and the life right now he can do it right now in your life he can take the things that are dead that are gone and he can do it right now in your life I believe God wants to do it in our lives I believe he wants to reveal to some of us his resurrection power and it's time to finish and I'm going to finish with this. It's not with the lesson, but it's about what I believe God spoke to me and that we're going to do. Not right now, because it's time to end. We all got to go to the bathroom.
But a few Sundays ago, the Spirit of God was moving, and I felt the Lord speaking to me, and I kept thinking, well, I need to go say something, but I didn't because I didn't feel it was right. But I felt the Lord speaking to me. We've talked about the seven miracles of John. We've talked about all kinds of stuff, and there's more in them. And I just felt convicted in my own spirit. I, I, this, the point of these lessons was not to talk about miracles. The point of this lesson was to see miracles happen. Whether it means God opens my eyes to see what he's doing, or God actually begins performing more miracles that I see. And I was challenged in my spirit, and I believe that God wants to do it in our midst. I felt challenged to teach this last year and just kept holding off because it didn't feel right, and, and the time was just right. And so today, at the end of service, and we're going to mention this in service, at the end of service today, you're going to get a piece of paper the ushers are going to give you. And on that, it's just one piece of paper, uh, half a page of paper, how about that? And on it, it, it lists the seven miracles of John, and it just has a one, sent- one or two sentences that just describes that miracle and what happens. And it says at the bottom, I want you, you're supposed to go and pray. Pray about it. If you need a miracle and it fits in any of those categories, if you just need a miracle in your life, pray about it this week. If you don't need a miracle then that's fine. Pray about it and build faith. And next Sunday, and this, this is, I guess, part of my Lazarus thing about Lazarus come forth. I'm stepping out in faith. I believe the Lord spoke this to me. Next Sunday in main service, God's going to perform miracles. Whatever it is you need in your life. This is not, it's not because I've got some great sermon plan, but I believe God doesn't just want us to hear about it. He wants us to experience it. And I felt this very specifically. I think that sometimes the reason that we don't see miracles outside like we want to is because we have so many unanswered ones inside. And the way to steward a miracle is by having a miracle happen and then believing God for more. And I believe God wants to give miracles in people's lives so that you can experience it and then you can be a steward of that miracle and see something greater in your life. And so today, and and I also believe something about expectation. I believe in expectation. I believe that when we come expecting things, God will show up and go beyond our expectations. So I don't want this to be a shock, but next Sunday, I'm going to preach for just a little bit, and then we're going to pray for miracles. We're going to believe that God's going to do the miracle that you need in your life. And so this week, at the end of the service, you're going to get that paper, and, and, and I was challenged with the words Brother Gene said one night at prayer, simply, you have not because you ask not. That's on the bottom of the paper. So next week, we're going to ask God. And we're going to believe and we're going to trust because he, he's the miracle worker. Amen. Stuff that's beyond that we don't know, that we don't understand, is going to happen in this place. And so I, incur- I, I, I challenge you this week. Take that paper. It's got the scripture passages with each miracle. If you want to reread the miracles, get something else out of it, that's fine. But next week, I want you to come ready to receive your miracle or I want you to come ready to pray for somebody to get their miracle. Hallelujah. Amen. I want us to stand this morning. And I want to simply pray at the end of this. We've gone all the way from making, uh, turning wine into water. That guy's fault who's only had one job to do at the wedding, and that's get the wine. He ran out. All the way to the grave robber. It doesn't matter where your miracle lays on that spectrum, God can take care of it. I'm just, I want us to pray in closing that the Lord would increase our faith. Amen.